All right, before we get started, it's out. That's right, instead of sitting down and doing the audiobook that I've been promising forever, I went ahead and compiled all 10 years of the fucking pilot articles to put in one big fat book. Included in that book is also author's commentary and even a few apologies here and there for some of the shit that I wrote over those 10 years. It is called The Lunatic Fringe Book. The Lunatic Fringe book right now is available on Amazon.com or actually any Amazon pretty much worldwide, and it is available for Kindle, it is available in paperback, and it is available, believe it or not, even in hardback. So you've got all three choices. It's, I don't know, 330, 340 pages worth of sometimes informative, sometimes really over-the-top fun stuff, hopefully that you're going to enjoy the living hell out of. So head to Amazon and order your copy of The Lunatic Fringe book right now. Blue skies call. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. 
They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, and as is my new habit, we're just going to dive right into it. Tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? My name's Cody. Cody! And uh, I am a tandem instructor, videographer. Cody, you jump out of airplanes. Every day. That's what we want to talk about. That's the shit we want to hear about. So, uh, you jump out of uh, airplanes doing tandems. Correct. Strapping people to yourself. 100%. What, What do you think of that? Sometimes, sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes I see the person in front of me and I'm like, listen, you need to sit on these legs right here and right. get strapped to my body because we're going for a ride. Right. And other times, other times I just wish I was a video guy. Right. It's an adventure. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I've said it a million times on the podcast. Uh, it turned out. Looking back, my favorite way to skydive was tandems. Why? I don't know. I'm a bit of a masochist, apparently. Mm. Uh, but it sure shit didn't start out that way. Mm. But let's let's jump all the way back to the beginning. This shit is not about me. Um, how did you start doing anything extreme? Man, dude, from my earliest memories, I was doing really dumb stuff off <laughs> of really high things. In fact, uh, like one of my favorite memories is I got a gigantic tarp. We're talking, I mean, I was maybe five years old, so sure. it might not have been that big. But to me, it was the biggest piece of material I could find. Right. And I grabbed all four corners and I went on the roof of my two-story house and I ran full speed and I jumped off it thinking I was going to marry Poppins that bitch down to the ground. You know what I mean? Two stories. Two stories. That's yeah. ballsy. Oh, yeah. And I was like a little kid. <laughs> right. And But in my head, the physics made sense. I sure. was like, oh, this is going to inflate and I'm going to float down. This right. will work great. And you know what? It might have. But as I leapt. Left the roof, the material caught one of those little pipes that stick out yeah, of the, yeah. <laughs> hanging on the ceiling, and uh, it caught, and I got pulled back and slammed against the wall and then fell down to the ground, and I was fine. And I just remember brushing off and being like, whoa, let's right. go. <laughs> you know? Kid rubber bones, man. What I wouldn't give for those fucking yeah, things. Yeah, you and me both. I did the same thing when I was a kid, although it was only a one story. And uh, we had a, a massive, I don't know the exact type of tree, but it's one of those really thick pines. Mm-hmm. Like not the tall, skinny ones, but super, super bushy. And I would run and dive headfirst into this tree. And of course, you'd just get snagged on all the branches and then climb down and fucking do it again. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, the tarp off of second story is pretty ballsy. That's pretty good. My mom, I don't remember this, but she told me that her earliest memory of me hurting myself was I had a three-wheel trike thing, you know, that was really low to the ground. Sure. 
And uh, we had a driveway went downhill a little bit to the garage, and she said I would ride it as fast as I could and crash into the garage door, fall <laughs> over, and get up, shake it off, and then run back up and do it again. And she said all she would she just laugh, watch me crash into the door. So I don't know what was wrong with me. That's but, pretty fucking funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She that, thought it was hilarious. And I mean, that also uh, rearing children seems to be a bit different nowadays Correct. than it was. <laughs> Back then, I mean, you're younger than me, but uh, we both from a generation where everything wasn't fucking padded. You know, I mean, I grew up playing on steel monkey bars in the summertime over mm-hmm. concrete. Yeah. You know, so the fact that your mom just let you barrel yourself into the garage door is pretty cool. Yeah, she was very supportive of me being dumb. and uh, <laughs> But we were a very artistic family, you know what I mean? My mom was very much uh, all about me expressing myself in however way that was. My dad the same. You know, they're very artsy musicians, kind of free, hippie, barefoot, avocado-eating Californians, you know? Oh, yeah. California, that says a lot. All yeah, right, cool. yeah. yeah. So I was free to roam and to play in the dirt, and there was, you know, the more dirt, the better, you know? Like, it was kind of their deal. Right. And, um, but yeah, if, I mean, if we could go, my mom would probably wish that we spent less time at the hospital growing up, you know? Yeah. For sure. Well, I think as a mom, any time in the hospital is not happy yeah. times, but. And I was, reg- I was a regular visitor, you know? Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Whereabouts in California? I grew up in Los Angeles proper. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Wow. Yeah. There's not that many people that can actually say that. I know. I mean, a lot of people end up going to L.A., but not too many people are from there. Yeah. I grew up in a 900 zip code in Los Angeles. What was growing up in L.A. like? Not a big deal, man. I was in a suburb just outside of downtown called Pasadena. It's like 10 minutes outside of downtown L.A. Yeah. And, um, and it was good neighborhood, man. It was lots of diversity. Everybody was friendly. Sure. Like uh, There were some bad neighborhoods, some good neighborhoods. You know, I was no stranger to a ghetto. We were like pretty much in the ghetto where I grew up. Sure. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was good, man. I, I enjoyed my childhood. I mean, I only got beat up like w- once or twice that I can remember, you know, right, for right. being picked on. But for the most part, it was awesome. Well, I think uh, uh, all kids get picked on at some point or get, yeah, yeah, or get beat up at least once in their lives. It's kind of uh, you know trial by fire growing up and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny because I'm the opposite side of California. I'm NorCal, so San Francisco. Hella, so, hella cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's kind of funny, of course, because if you ask most people that are from California, it's very much uh, north or south. There's no, yeah, it's both are kind of nice. It's a, I love L.A. or I love San Francisco and fuck that other side. <laughs> yeah, but you're from San Francisco. You're not from like Fresno claiming you're from San Francisco. No, no, okay, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> no, I spent a whole lot of time uh, doing stupid shit in Chrissy Field and going up the walls of Planet Granite and, oh, and yeah. promoting promoting raves in downtown San Francisco in the Army District. That's and, cool. Yeah, yeah, formative years in, in that city for sure. Um, but L.A. is so spread out. I mean, there's like a million different cities in that city yeah it's huge and i didn't venture too far out right because it was dangerous you know in the 90s especially when the riots broke out my mom really freaked out and was like listen we can't really leave pasadena anymore the neighborhood you know (laughs) right she was very scared but it i didn't start like leaving like my little bubble until i was probably about 13 years old i started smoking pot and then i was like oh okay my friends and i were (laughs) we had to find people to sell us pot and you know they were a bus ride away, so we started learning how to take the bus to get out of Pasadena. Nice, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, going on adventures, you know. Venturing down towards Venice or something. Yeah, we did Venice Beach a lot, like and then downtown LA a lot, and places like this, you know. 
Well, Venice Venice has always been a pretty interesting place, no matter what. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did a little bit of time in Venice Beach. In fact, um, when I ran away to L.A. back when I was young and stupid and wanted to go be famous and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. I ended up living in a hostel off Paloma Avenue, just a block off of Venice. Wow. Yeah, man. And uh, um, I was sitting there with a British guy that uh, uh, was living in the hostel as well who throws me – you remember the Rolos candy? Yep. Throws me a Rolos. What do you do if somebody throws you a piece of chocolate? You eat it? Eat it, absolutely. Well, I ate it, and I swallowed it, and then he looked up at me and went, oh, my God, you didn't eat that, do you? (laughs) Fuck yeah, I ate it. He's like, oh. How how many doses, dude? It was fucking a a dose of ecstasy. Yeah, oh, yeah, sweet. (laughs) But I was, especially at that time, I was 100% opposed to drugs, so I freaked the fuck out. I'm like, oh, my God, what do I, I'm trying to make myself throw up, couldn't do it. Like, proper not happy. Now I'm walking down Venice Beach, and anybody that's been to Venice Beach knows it's just a fucking circus anyway. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there regularly are ambulances that patrol up and down the beach just to see if there's any problems going on. And I see an ambulance coming down the beach, and nothing is kicked in yet. And I run up to the paramedic, and I'm like, oh, my God, you guys got to help me. Uh, yes, what, what's going on? And I tell him exactly what happened, and he just starts laughing, and he went, yeah, about 15 minutes, you should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> And that sums up Venice Beach to me, that the paramedics just, like, enjoy the ride. Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I could talk about life in L.A. for hours. For man. sure. Well, now, how did uh, how did life in L.A. and growing up there transition into uh, doing shit like jumping out of airplanes? Man, my transition was pretty strange. Like, uh, my original goal was, uh, you know, fame and fortune, same as yours, you know, trying to get into Hollywood and do that thing. Sure. And then uh, after some success... Uh, I found a strange passion for making coffee. Okay. Which I uh, see you already know, like uh, oh, yeah. me and Ben and Forty, we like doing that. So uh, I ended up working in coffee for a few years and uh, built a few coffee shops of my own and had those running in Santa Monica. And uh, and during this time, I had done some tandems. Mm. You know, like I think I did one on my 18th birthday in like yeah, 2003 or something like that. And then I took my brother for his bachelor party and I did a few tandems, three or four tandems, I think, over the course of... 10 years or sure. something, and not once did a TI ever tell me, hey, you know, you could get your license. <laughs> really? I, and in fact, I didn't even consider how that person was taking me on a skydive. Right. You know, it, it never even crossed my mind. Like, I knew there must have been some sort of training, but I wasn't sure. I never thought about it. Sure. But skydiving would have been 100% up my alley right out the gate. Like, I, sh- I wish I would have started at 18. Sure. But it took until I was 30, and I'm sitting on my coffee shop patio with my buddy Brandon, and we're having a cigarette and a coffee. And he says, hey, I'm going to do my level AFF1 tomorrow. And I said, what's that? <laughs> you know, and he goes, it's some solo skydive. Do you want to go? And I was like, well, you can just go do that. You know, like you can just go jump out of jump a out plane, plane by yeah. yourself. And he was like, we well, got a teacher there next to you, I think, you know. <laughs> and I was like, all right, yeah, let's send it like 100%, you know. Sure. So I did my first level one AFF uh, when I turned 30, like just before, I think, my 30th birthday. I was like 29. This was July. And uh, yeah, in the summer, it's got to have Paris in just outside of LA. Oh, Paris Valley. Mm. Man, that was my first turbine drop zone. 
Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's the first place, uh, first place I ever got to jump out of a twin otter. Uh, first malfunction, first broken bone, all Paris Valley, man. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, man, that place is the shit. Uh, the canasters put together an amazing place, and the talent that has run through there throughout the life of my career that I've gotten to see that's from mm-hmm. Paris is astounding. You know, word on the street was they inherited that drop zone when they bought it, not meaning for skydivers to be there. There really? was already some vagrant skydivers using that airport to land their parachutes when they bought the airport. Really? Yeah, and uh, and. <laughs> And so they were like, what are these guys doing jumping here? And they decided to make something of it. And I don't know how, like, accurate that story is, but I remember kind of hearing them talk about that, like, the old the old first months of nice. the place. Yeah, yeah. Nice, man. Well, I, uh, um, if anybody is listening in Paris Valley, man, tell them I've been trying to get somebody from the Canaster clan to come on the podcast. Oh, dude, why wouldn't they? I kidding? would love to hear the history of Paris Valley. I don't because... know about Ben, but his wife, Diane, dude, yeah. she's, so, she's so funny. Yeah. Um, and the kids are awesome, you know, like Melanie and, uh, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. And I've met them all throughout the years yeah. and, and known so many of the staff and so many of the jumpers that have come through that place. So I would love to get the canasters on to, t- to tell the, the Paris Valley stories. Yeah. It's the old, such an amazing place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure even like somehow get Dan, Dan BC talk, talk all about I've it. I've had Dan BC <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. I had Dan BC on a while back, uh, just about the time his book was coming out, go out and buy it above all else, I believe is the name yeah. of it. So go buy Dan's book. Um, but yeah, the, the, that whole crew out there. And I remember the, the driving in Paris, the first time I ever drove there and Paris Valley in LA is, at least it was not, a particularly pretty neighborhood. <laughs> no, 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 no. And it's still not, I don't think. Like, no. they're doing, they're trying. There's lots of construction and lots of new home housing, and it's sure. and it's getting there. But it's still like an armpit for sure. Yeah, I mean, I say nothing about Paris, modern Paris, because I don't know. I haven't been back there in many, many years. Yeah, it's but, changed uh, for sure. It was fucking crack needle or crack pipes and needles everywhere. <laughs> Dude, even sometimes you'd be at the restaurant after jumping and some like crackheads would stumble into the drop zone to go to the restaurant, try to like start shit at the bar and yeah. ugh, yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. There yeah. Was... No, it was you, you, I, I remember being very cautious walking through the ghetto, which was the ghetto to get to, you know, all the trailers where the jumpers were staying, but it mm-hmm. took on a whole new meaning in Paris Valley. And I do know that it's changed quite a bit, but it was weird because it was this little fucking bubble in the middle of this shitty little town, but it was this wonderful bubble. And such a cool place to jump. It was my favorite place I'd ever been. Once I learned how to skydive there and I went through AFF there, like the the crew there and the people that have been there took me in like family and were convincing me to, you know, obviously they want jumpers, right? Everybody wants sure. more jumpers. But the way I was treated and the growth and, uh, you know, guys like Mark Brown, rest in peace, took me under his wing and was like, oh, we're going to teach you how to be a four-way belly flyer and yada, yada. Right. And like... A lot of people were very, 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 very helpful and encouraging and inclusive. Sure. And I didn't feel like there was many of the the sky gods running around. Everybody was inviting me to do things and to do, you know, zoo dives and sure. four-way jumps and blah, 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 blah. Nice. Yeah, I was I was through the roof, you know, and I got along with everybody so well that not very long after I started learning, they were like, you should work here at the tunnel because I wasn't jump number enough to get sure, a job sure 
And I was like, I could do that. I can just work in the wind tunnel and make no money and be happier than I've ever been. And, you know, right. but at this point I'm in my, you know, I just turned 30 and, uh, I would like to buy a house sometime in California. And so I was like, all right, maybe I shouldn't do any of that. I should sell my business right. and sell everything I own, move to the armpit of California called Paris. All right. And uh, just skydive every day and work in the tunnel, and that's what I did. You see, I mean, and you hear it from all different backgrounds, and I've heard people that have walked away from successful businesses and successful jobs because this was more of a fucking calling. Yeah, 100%. Because you got to be a little bit crazy and a little bit bent to walk away from a, a normal, well-adjusted life to do what we do in the way that we do it because our lives are not normal. Mm. They're some. They're most of the time very nomadic. It's very hit and miss, feast or famine. You know, I mean, you're either absolutely living it up or you're starving to death. And I don't know. Granted, the, as skydivers of my generation and yours get older, we're a little bit smarter about what we do with the money we make. But holy shit, man, it's a wild tribe. Yeah, and I think I got really lucky, man, right off the gate because it was. Easier than I thought to sell my business, which gave me some cushion to just kind of not have to work a job that afforded me like a an L.A. lifestyle, you know, right. which I never really lived anyway. I never owned a fancy car or tried sure. to, you know, show off with fancy clothes or sure. any of that stuff. But um, one of my one of my dear friends from way back when had moved out to Paris Valley or close by, like the neighborhood next door is mm. – uh, and he started this big old grow operation in his house, you know, and he sure. was growing pot. Sure. And said, yeah, hey, I've got an extra room in my pot house. You could just live in here for free. <laughs> and I was like, what? So I think like, all right, so I move out here to get a low-paying job, but I don't have to pay rent. <laughs> right. But there's a trade. He says, oh, during crop Season. time, we, you might just help me out around the house. No big deal. All right. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, this could be fine. I don't smoke pot. I, had, I quit smoking pot a long time ago. Sure. And so I'm living in this house, and I don't know if you guys have ever been to a grow house before, but they're, they're disgusting. You know, there's dirt everywhere. It smells terrible. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you can't walk to your bathroom without tracking dirt back into your bedroom. You know, I'm sweeping every day. It doesn't right. matter, you know. And then, you know, trying to help this guy cut crop down, and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anything about it, you know. And it was, I, I hated it. But I lived there for six months rent-free, which was awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah man. I've lived in some shitholes just because <laughs> that was the room that was available. Yeah, 100%. Been there, done that. Uh, as a jumper and as a pilot, you just kind of are like, all right, fuck, I'm going to take what I can get. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, you don't know how big the season's going to be. You know, and when the end of the season rolls around, you're already thinking about what next season holds because it's fucking raining outside and you're not making money anymore. Yep. So it's a, um, it's a choice. It's Yeah. Hundred percent. Well, and a lot of people make it blind, not knowing what they're walking into. But it sounds like you had a pretty good idea uh, that the direction you were heading in was not going to be the, you know, the luxurious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is important, right? If you know that walking into it, then it's life is fun. a lot easier. Oh yeah, way better. Like when I saw the lifestyle of skydivers <laughs> right away, I knew it was trailers, and I knew it was like, you know. I mean, like, I, I quit doing drugs and drinking when I was really young. Sure. So, but, and I knew it was a big party atmosphere and this sure. kind of thing. So I knew what I was getting myself into when sure. I signed up. But the sport is what called me there. Sure. There wasn't some, like, babe instructor that got me there with her boobies hanging out or nothing like that. Right. You know? Like, I was attracted to the sport. I started flying in the tunnel and I wanted to compete. Like, sure. I, you know, instantly I wanted to, like. Sure. Yeah. So, so the drive really took me there and, so the cost of 
giving up a LA lifestyle or whatever was easy because sure. I didn't care anymore. I was ready to leave. You sure. Know? Mm-hmm. Well, and and one of the really nice things about I mean, yes, skydiving is very much a um, a party atmosphere in a lot of places, but if you're not the type that parties like that, they don't fucking care. Yeah. It's not, and I was kind of surprised at that as well because it's very easy to be the guy that abstains and still go have an absolute blast and no one thinks anything about it. Oh, you don't do this stuff? Cool. Here, come on in. It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. My first boogie, I didn't party at all. And you should have seen the chick that came home with me. It was fantastic, dude. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't and it's, believe it. <laughs> it's that, that's the kind of thing, right? Is it, There's no judgment across the board. I mean, there is, but it's not like it's, yeah. it, it's not something that stops anything from happening you know i mean no one has an issue with oh that guy doesn't drink or that guy doesn't do this or that people don't give a fuck no people were really nice and uh the beer rules still stood you know and i respected them if i owed beer you bet your ass i would bought beer um sometimes i'd crack jokes and be like oh yeah i brought root beer you know because i don't drink so fuck (laughs) you guys right but uh for the most part that was the case and whenever we get somebody at the dz that was under 21 and they'd ask me like if i was their aff instructor or whatever they'd be like oh cody i guess i owe beer what does everybody drink or i can't buy beer i'm not 21 i'd be like oh it's fine everybody loves root beer don't even worry about it just go get root beer and i just laugh and i drink all the root beers awesome great awesome well, when I started jumping, I didn't uh, I didn't drink at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually living and working in Las Vegas, and I didn't party at all, didn't do anything in Las Vegas. Um, didn't touch a, a drink the entire time that I lived there. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, when I – the first time I had this, oh, you owe beer, you owe a case of beer. Well, I don't drink beer, and I never did drink beer, so I went and bought a bunch of beers in a cardboard box, not knowing that a case is not a 12-pack. <laughs> So I got shit forever because I showed up with a case of beer that was a 12-pack. Yeah, whatever. You did what you thought you were exactly. supposed to do. Screw those guys, you exactly. know? Exactly. Fuck those guys. Now, now I'm a healthy drinker. We talked about it before the podcast. I'm like, do you drink wine? You're like, I don't drink. I'm like, well, then I will cheers to your good health. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> absolutely. You yeah. st- <laughs> do whatever works for you, for sure. Yeah. Now, um, Paris Valley in the tunnel. You're hooked. You're in the lifestyle. Yep, sucked in. Uh, to the point where you lived in a grow house in L.A. Yeah, which was not desirable, right. but it worked. When did when did it become a, oh, this is just who I am now? Pretty quick, man. I knew, you know, I knew I needed to get out of that grow house. <laughs> and I knew I needed to, uh, the goal was to, because uh, I started teaching in the tunnel. And right away, I felt this, like, calling for being a teacher mm. and I had so much fun showing people what body flight was about, you know? Sure. And when some, when I would explain something and for some reason it made sense to them and then they were able to achieve that, the joy of watching that person grow into what they were wanting to do and me being like a, a helpful in that area was sure. just extremely fulfilling and uh, more so than I'd ever done ever. Like I grew up like like in L.A., man, and we're in the most superficial land in the world where I never did anything nice for anybody or sure. taught anybody anything of value. Sure, <laughs> I mean, like, sure. absolutely. Not that, not that tunnel flying is a value, but it's really fun. Sure. And so like uh, I wasn't used to this, and, and it wasn't like my parents were always very friendly, taught me how to be nice and respectful, blah, blah, blah. But I would never had been like a teacher, you know? Right. And uh, – and I had so much fun doing it, man. And people said that I was doing a good job, you know. And I didn't know how I was doing. I had never done it before, you sure. know. But uh, I think just maybe my friendly demeanor and my smiles and encouragement and things like that made it a little bit easier for people to uh, 
take in what I was offering. You sure, know? sure. Um, so I did the tunnel, and then during that phase, I thought, all right, what's my fastest way to getting my AFF rating? Mm. So I'm thinking I'm just going to lie on my logbook. You know, I was like, I'm screw it. We're just going to make up jumps. Right. And I ended up asking somebody, maybe not Dan BC, but somebody like that that had been working there forever, and I told them the truth. I was like, listen, I think I'm qualified to start doing AFF, and I just got my coach rating and blah, blah, blah. I said, but I don't have the jump numbers, but I really want to do this. And they just laughed at me, and they were like, Cody, it's you're going to have the jump numbers in no time. Like, we promise. You sure. jump. I jumped every day after work. Like, sure. you know what I mean? Like, sure. And uh, sure enough, they weren't joking. I think my first year at Paris, by the end of the year, I had close to 500 jumps under my belt, and mm. I was ready to get my ratings, you know, and um, which was really fantastic, too, because they counted my first tandems, according to USPA, as me joining jump. the sport, you know. So, yeah, I, man. so I'd been in the sport for 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> but I think my currency from working in the tunnel was extremely beneficial in me getting my ratings. I'm not saying that you got to be a tunnel flyer to do this. Absolutely not. I've seen sure. plenty of ripper skydivers never set foot in there, you know. But uh, I think it was very helpful for me. And then so I got my AFF rating, um, started doing AFF, started doing outside video. And I saw some TIs that hated their lives mm. that worked at Paris. There was one or two. And I remember just looking at them being like, man, I do not want to be a curmudgeon old tandem instructor sure. and hate myself. Sure. <laughs> you know? Sure. So I was like, I'm never going to get my tandem rating. That was the first thing, you know? It didn't take long. It didn't take long for them to just convince me. Like, hey, listen. Right. It only costs like a thousand bucks and then you pay itself off in like a month, you know, like, and then you do it for a month and then maybe you don't like it. You don't ever have to do it again, right. dude. You know, who cares? Just right. give it a shot. Right. And I, and, uh, I loved it. Yes. I have no idea why. I can't tell you why. Cause like I said, some days I'm like, why the fuck do I do this? But at the end of the day, like I really, really enjoy doing tandems. Sure. And uh, even still, you know, years later, a couple thousand under my belt, like, I, I still really like doing it. I mean, obviously, some days more than others, like, sure. like any job. Sure. Um, but, yeah, and now I just got the, ran the whole gambit, right? At Paris is where I started. Uh, got my tandem rating right next door um, at uh, Lake Elsinore with yep. my buddy Lalo. Nice. And uh, he was just a friend of mine and was doing the course, and it was the right timing, so I went over there to do it. And then went back to Paris to start throwing drugs. Nice. And uh, it was awesome, man. I learned so much, and it was so beneficial. And yeah, man, it's awesome. The the tandem thing was always kind of funny. I, I got forced into it, and and had I not had a f a couple of of very pivotal jumps, mm -hmm. um, I would have been one of those guys that was just bitter about what I was doing because I didn't want to be doing tandems when I started. I was forced into it in a job where I was making good, steady money. Uh, and uh, I had one student come out that was just uh, – I, I saw a 180-degree turn on this guy from the bluster in the gear-up room to the terror in the airplane mm -hmm. to the almost ecstasy uh, from the jump and landing. And he landed as a different human being than he took off uh, the ground from. And – after it sunk in, I realized, holy shit, I did that. I mean, sure, any one of these instructors could have done that, but I did that. I got this terrified guy that was being macho on the ground to get out of the airplane because I figured out how his head was working and I figured out what I needed to do to get him out of the airplane. And he had what will for the rest of his life probably be one of the standout experiences in his life. And I guarantee he doesn't remember what I look like. He doesn't know my name and he couldn't fucking care less. But I bet he still tells the story when he went and jumped out of an airplane. Mm -hmm. And that fucking hook, line, and sinker, man, had me. I was instantly hooked. I'm like, wow. 
Okay. And it's, it's, um, the joy of being able to share your passion with somebody else, but it's also that knowing there's that little bit of remembrance forever. Like you did something for that person that will stick with them for forever. Yeah. hundred percent. It's an amazing thing. And you know, I look at me as an AFF instructor in the early days and I got thrown into the fire. Like when I got my AFF rating within the first month, there was a military contract that came into Paris Ooh. and they were like, Hey, we want you to do this military contract. You know, you get first dibs. This is a bonus of working here. And I was like, Oh, cool. And they do it. Like I think most places when you get signed off on AFF, there's, it's slower, right? You can only do sure. level one, two, and three for a little bit and maybe level seven, you know, and then maybe get into the single instructor stuff after sure. that. Sure. And there was like a regiment you had to do. And I remember the chief instructor, you know, gave me the gig for the military and it went really well right away. And day one, day one, they give me a student and they said, okay, Cody, you just find your name, find your student, go find them. And then you start going through it and they, and they assigned main side reserve side. So I got assigned main side with this guy and then my buddy Joe got reserve side. And then, so we go through just me and Joe for this guy's one, two, and three. And that same day, and that same day, level four, I go to the board and it says level four, Cody, main side. And I was like, well, it's just me for a release jump, you know? And I didn't even question it. Like I was doing the job and I didn't want to look dumb. So I just kept moving and didn't even think about it. I was like, sure. let's go, let's go. And nothing was wrong. I did a good job. Everything was good, you know? And uh, by the end of the day, I talked to my chief instructor and he goes, wait, did you do all the levels today? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I was like, uh, was I not supposed to shit? I'm sorry. Like, I don't mean to, you know, right. go behind your back or anything. And he goes, no, no, it's fine. You're just signed off on all levels now. Way to go. Good job. <laughs> you know? and I was like, all right, sweet. So like my, pretty much my first week doing AFF, they like cleared me to do it, which was cool, but, uh, not necessarily how things usually go. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, but I think about this, like when I learned and there were some instructors specifically one, and I feel like every job zone has an instructor like this that just scared the fucking shit out of me. And mm. he did it on purpose. Mm. He like, and I don't know if he like really meant to do it, but I swear before I was doing a skydive with this guy, I thought I was going to die. Like, sure. but I, I was like, you know, you should just stop doing this because this dude says I'm going to like, I'm in the EP, doing my EPs. <laughs> He's going over the questions and I do something wrong. And he goes, you're dead. He goes, you do this, you're dead. And I was like, oh, dude, I don't want to die. Right. <laughs> He's like, well, then you better memorize this and do it right or else you're dead. You want to die here? And I've, dude, it scared the shit out of me. Sure. Oh my gosh. And I did my like. My the jump where they do unstable exit. That's what we did. I think it was like jump six or something. Sure. Where you get in a ball in the door and they push you out the door and you just flop around and then right. you arch and get stable. He's my instructor for it, and I'm literally now thinking like, all right, not only did I just mess up in my harness room and I think I'm gonna die, I'm about to exit unstable, which is something I I don't want to do because I just practiced stable exits for the last six jumps and right. they all went great. You know, right. like why would I want to do this? And he, he did not. It was not encouraging. Right. <laughs> it was just like you need to know what it's like to be unstable uh, because you know. Oh, <laughs> I'm man. so scared, and it turned out to be like my favorite jump I'd ever done. And then when we got down, his smile on his face and his words of encouragement after I landed and all this stuff. And he was like, see, man, this is what it's all about. It's fun. <laughs> and I was like, bro, you're the most two-faced motherfucker sure. I've ever met in my entire life. Sure. But it was his way of 
of coaching. Sure. You know? Well, and it's that's kind of funny because I've long been of the opinion that there's uh, an instructor for every student yeah, and a student for every instructor, right? Yeah. The way that I teach is not necessarily going to get through to every student, just like the way that uh, people that teach me, some I'm going to learn from and some I'm not going to get anything they're doing because it's just a different approach. Mm-hmm. And that's the key, right? Is finding that person that matches. And that guy sounds like a fucking psychopath to me. Yeah, he was a very specific <laughs> coach. And it was this sort of, and not, not to say like very super military, but he was military from some country super far away. Sure. And, uh, and that was just how he was taught, you know? Sure. And that's just how he carried over. And I noticed that there's some students, some teachers that can be more of a DJ. And I like to think of myself as one of these where I can like kind of see how somebody learns, whether it's mentally or, sure. you know, visually or whatever, and try to play to what they can use, you know? Sure. Um, but I've come into the uh, hurt, you know, like that part of teaching where I can see my students not learning anything from me sure. and I've been able like some it's hard sometimes because my ego my pride wants to say like oh I can help this guy or I can do this or blah 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 and it's hard to take that step back and be like all right I'm not the right teacher for you Sure. Why don't you try this person? He might do better. You know? Absolutely. Well, and I've had to do that a few times in, in uh, my AFF career and, mm-hmm. and go, you know something? I'm just, you're having troubles here and the way that I'm breaking this down for you for whatever reason just isn't working. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It is a bit of a kick to the ego at first until you realize, oh, wait a second. No, I was smart enough to hand them off to somebody that can help them get through it in another way. Yeah. And then you can circle back around. And I've had students that left me for the mid jumps and then came back for the last one ones because they'd whatever hurdle they'd gotten over that I couldn't get them past another instructor was able to and that's cool it's supposed to be a team thing right mm-hmm. I mean so it's good it's good it should it, 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 the way I was introduced to the sport was it's a family thing like we all help each other out sure. and then you'll run across instructors that don't have that same share mm. that same thing and and they're teaching a student and you see something and you dish out a friendly pointer and then that instructor is like don't fucking talk to my student you know yeah and i've had this happen to me a handful of times sure and i'm like are you kidding me like we're all just trying to be helpful here and you think i'm trying to like sure just impose on your teachings it's not the case at all like sure. we're just all trying to be well, that's loving. <laughs> some, some people get that way, though, right? They see Ugh. you pointing something out to somebody else, and they take that as a personal insult because you were showing something to someone else, and they think, this person thinks I'm not doing my job. Yeah, no. or trying to steal my student or yeah. trying to do shit like this. I think it's so it's yeah. such bullshit. Yeah, and unfortunately, well, that's where skydivers are human. Yeah, it, yeah, 100%. And we're fucking alpha. Every skydiver to some degree is alpha. A little bit. And it takes a bit of time in the sport to realize where you fit in with a bunch of other fucking alphas. Yeah. And I well, it's I mean, the sport's still so special. I don't care yes. how long it's been around, the percentage of people that do it is it's still Minuscule. so small. And so you're doing something that other people that have never even thought about it, to them, it's... It's unbelievable. Oh, You're yeah. like a performer in Cirque du Soleil, which oh, yeah. is a job that I would imagine I would never do. Right. <laughs> you know absolutely. I mean? like, absolutely. Like, oh, you ride the motorcycle around the cage in circles. <laughs> like, that's right. what you do. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that because so my mom sees it like that. My brother sees it like that. Sure. He's like, he brags. He's like, look at my brother. He tells me, he's like, oh, I was bragging about you on my coworkers, man. You're showing your videos. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Like, 
why? You yeah, know, because right. I just think it's like, you, she's been with my brother forever. You know what I do. Right, <laughs> right. But he just still likes talking to his buddies about it because they freak out. You for know sure. I mean? like, for sure. Well, I just had to, um, Billy Sharman uh, on the podcast. He's a, a swoop competitor and the owner of uh, Scott Pretoria in South yep. Africa. And uh, fucking wonderful guy. And he's sitting there saying something about, yeah, but we're just normal people. And I'm like, fuck you. We are not normal, man. Yeah, we're not. I, I had a, I had a, a guy on a, a Facebook forum called uh, the Beginner Skydiving Forum. Yeah. Uh, it's a great page for a bunch of people that are just learning how to skydive. Mm-hmm. And um, he was saying something about only having done one or two jumps. And my comment to him was, you've done something that almost everyone ever in history will never do mm-hmm. it is such a small percentage of people on the planet that have jumped out of an airplane that you are a member of an elite group of human beings even if you never do more than a few fucking tandems yeah. but if you go through to get licensed and become a sport jumper you could be the worst at four way ever and you are still better than pretty much the entire fucking planet so be proud right yeah, 100% it's an incredible thing we do and the the amount of you know like I'm not trying to like toot my horn, but everyone knows this. Like the amount of courage that needs to happen for you to exit on your first level one AFF jump. I don't care if there's two people, three people, or four people holding yep. on to each one of your fucking limbs when you jump. Like yep. I didn't sleep the night before. Oh, sure. You I know? know. I was up all night just panicking, thinking about what the worst case scenarios were. And then I got to the DZ knowing like in my heart that this is something that I really wanted to try. Sure. But, man, the fear was so intense. And then me in the door and the sweaty palms and my whole muscles are tense and I'm so scared. But the feeling of freedom once I stepped out and right. was able to achieve what was the goal um, was was so remarkable. You oh, know? yeah. Well, for the longest time, people would ask me what my favorite part of skydiving was. Non-skydivers would ask me, and it was always the same answer. It's letting go of the plane. Yeah, let go. The exit. Always, always. Why? Because it's that transition from fear to success. You did it. You know, and this is probably, it's certainly one of the reasons why tandems appealed to me so much and maybe for you, because I had a lot of fear to overcome learning how to jump, no matter how scared the students are, if they get out of the plane, hats off. Yeah. Nothing but respect. I don't care if you pissed your pants and screamed all the way down. You fucking did it. Mm. And I'm sure you've seen them. I've had people that clamp their eyes closed and just let it happen, but they fucking did it. Mm. And I've seen refusals where they're just losing their shit. And I always feel so horrible for the refusals because I know that forever they will regret not jumping out of that plane. Mm. Right? Yeah. Every time. Nobody ever regrets jumping. They regret landing. Every yeah, time. Absolutely. I've never seen anybody climb out of a plane they refuse to jump out of happy. No, yeah, no, <laughs> never. no, never. You know, I did have a lady one time really upset with her skydive. I had like, I don't know if you've ever had this, but I had a passenger once the canopy open was just not happy. Not because it was uncomfortable. She hated the free fall. <laughs> she hated the airplane ride. She's yelling at me over her shoulder to get her down. She Get me the fuck down right now and we're at like four thousand feet and i told the lady i said listen lady we're we can't i can't just unclip you you know what i mean like we got to fly this pair she goes no <laughs> you need to get me down right now and i i uh, you know it was there's no no explaining so i was like okay so i bury a toggle of course and she fuck loses her mind and i'm dying laughing because at this point I, I my customer service is out the window sure. like this lady was being incredibly rude you know sure and uh and i wasn't saying anything mean to her but i definitely wasn't being nice <laughs> and then uh you know so i just tell her listen we can just float here and i promise you we'll get down uh as soon as the parachute allows right. you know 
But that was my only experience with somebody that definitely would have maybe rather have landed in the plane. I think I've only had uh, maybe two. Um, Out of how many? How many tandems you got? Maybe 500. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It's pretty good odds, really. Um, but one of them, it was, I don't know if, you, I, I, we never even discussed the free fall because she was so miserable under canopy um, <laughs> and so uncomfortable in the harness and wouldn't do anything that I, I said. And uh, this is actually one of the tandems that I fucked up uh, and made a mistake. Mm. She's bitching the entire time under canopy, and she just won't let up. She's screaming and yelling and cussing and trying to get me to adjust this and adjust that. And we were jumping the old uh, vector tandem rigs with the F-111 tandem canopies, 360s, 421s, 500s. I think it was on a 421, massive fucking canopy with flare toggles as well. Um, and the flare toggles just make it a little bit better. Mm. Uh, but you have to remember to pick up the flare toggles below a thousand feet. Yeah, well, of she had my attention so diverted away from what I should be doing that I never picked up the flare toggles. So as I'm flaring, I realize I don't have the flare toggles. So mistake one, I didn't get the flare toggles. Mistake two, I snatched for them instead of just punching out the flare mm -hmm. and trying to get as much as I could out of it. And her mistake was she didn't get her feet out in front of her, so she sat on her foot and I snapped her leg. Holy moly. Yeah, and I was low time tandem instructor. This is before one of those pivotal jumps, and I'm like, yeah. this is the worst fucking job ever. I don't ever want to do this shit again because this, that was, there's that nothing about this that was worth it. Yeah. You know, and now I've got her broken leg on my conscience, and since then, of course, I've got, you know, another 23 years under my belt, and fuck her, she should have shut her mouth and stopped screaming at me. Yeah, you're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I caught to the fact that I made the mistake. I didn't pick up the flare toggles. I let her distract me from the job that I should mm -hmm. be doing, but I also was super low tandem-wise. I landed without flare toggles once, and it just happened to be really smooth. Sure. Like, I think the all the, you know... Oh, yeah. Everything lined up perfect to where I didn't need them. Like, you know... The, For sure. Uh, it just glided out. It's nice. And I remember getting there being like whoops, I won't do that again yeah. and I haven't done it again. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right, is the mistakes that you uh, that you make that you get away with are the biggest learning experiences because you're like running through all the horrible shit that could have happened. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you're the same. I'm much harder on myself than anyone else could be on me. Mm. Uh, so when I fuck something up, it sticks in my head because I remember and I just got away with it. And I don't mm -hmm. like getting away with stuff. I like being good at what I do. Mm. Now, speaking of challenging stuff, you jumped in Las Vegas. Yeah, so while I was working at Skydive Paris, there was a time where uh, we weren't making as much money. There was mm. some shift in some pay and yada, yada. Sure. And I remember thinking like, okay, I need to make a little bit more than this because it was starting to get hard, you know? Sure. And, <laughs> um, and so I had a friend that had just gone up there, a guy that got me the job in the tunnel at Paris. And he had gone to Vegas to go work, and I messaged him asking him what it was like. And he said, dude, we're making 10 grand a month, man. You should come up here. And I was like, 10 grand a month? What? You know, I was like, nah, this can't be real. And so my, uh, I go up there. This was – I just basically tell my boss at Paris that I want to try to do some back and forth. Hmm. Like I don't want to leave because I love this place, but I want to go do a month up there. And sure. the boss up there said we'd love to have you for a month, you know. Uh, the requirement for tandems was much higher than I had. Mm. I had like not, I barely had 200 tandems, I think. Mm. And they said, well, why don't you come up here and do some outside video for us? And then when it's like casual wind days, we'll let you do some tandems and we'll kind of teach you how we do things here. Sure. 
So my first week working in Vegas, I was only doing outside video, and I watched one of the most terrifying accidents I'd ever seen happen to a wingsuiter doing a low turn. Because for those of you listening that don't know about Skydive Las Vegas or, or wherever you're skydiving in Vegas, is the air density is different. Oh, yeah. And it's fast, yeah. and it's steep, and <laughs> I don't know how or why or what's going on, but when you swoop in, and I was, you know, learning to swoop at that time, and I was starting to fly in cross-brace canopies when I got to Vegas, and... And I was doing, you know, my little 270s and starting to figure it out. And uh, and I remember, like, having to start it way higher oh, than yeah. anywhere else I'd worked. And they even told me that. They said, you know, if you think you're high, do it higher. Yeah. And then figure it out from there. And yeah. I, I'm always going to take advice from people in skydiving because I'm not an idiot, sure, you know. Sure, And I don't want to die. <laughs> so, like, I listened and I took the advice and everything was fine. I learned how to swoop in Vegas. But sure. I watched a guy that obviously didn't. And sure. uh, he came in full speed, man. Legs to the ground. Did a couple of front flips through his risers, this poor guy. And I'm first one there. I run over to him. And he's awake looking at me. French dude in a wingsuit, you know, and, right. I, and, I, and he looks at me and he was like, am I okay? And I look at him and I'm like, dude, you can, there's no blood, man. That's good news. And I look down and his legs in the suit, you could see were noodles, uh, full noodles. And my eyes just got big. And he looked at me and then looked at his legs. It was like, holy shit. <laughs> like I, I blew it. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I shouldn't, right. have, I shouldn't have gotten all, I was obvious on my face. It's <laughs> like, sure, sure. like, bro, you got ramen noodle legs, dude. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. This is not good. <laughs> And of course, his first words are, "Get me out of my suit, that cheap motherfucker." Dude. Yeah, like everybody, I'm, I would be the same. I'd be like, "Take my harness off." Oh god, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, that was the running joke in Vegas because I my home drop zone, my first ever drop zone was Skydive yeah. Las Vegas, and the running joke was, "If I frap in, get me out of my rig and drag me to the golf course because I don't have health insurance." <laughs> 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 so like, uh, but yeah, learning learning how to do some jumps in Vegas, not only canopy stuff, but also tandems was extremely useful, I yeah. think, for my future of doing tandems and stuff. And not just that, but knowing when to say, I shouldn't do this. Sure. And these guys that I was working with, some of them were like, as far as I'm concerned, like legends in the sport. Like sure. these dudes are like can land anywhere at any time in any winds like and they can they know what the you know everything's gonna drifts and all this stuff and i'm sure. so new that i don't sure. understand any of it and uh and i'm sure you remember too in vegas there was this like current of wind that traveled around three thousand feet and it would be going like we're talking 60 70 knots or something oh, yeah. psycho you know and once your canopy got into it you would just start going backwards you know so you had to know when to get in it and then when to get out of it in order to stay like over the drop zone area yeah. it was the strangest thing but that that caused me to have some tandem land offs you know sure. in the middle of the desert with a bunch of cactus and rocks is terrifying yeah man it's it's kind of funny because people will look in an area of Vegas and think oh well there's nothing but outs Fuck you, man. No, there's no You outs. need to get down there and see what kind of conditions you're actually landing in. And it yeah. gets intense. And especially if you're jumping in Gene, like at least in, in Boulder City where Scott of Las Vegas was, you had a pretty big landing area mm -hmm. and then a lot of graded areas where if you had to land out, you'd be all right. Mm -hmm. uh, and students, went, like where I learned, was on a fucking dry lake bed that was 15 miles long. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was, it was pretty tough to fuck up the spot over that. Um, and again, a pretty decent place to learn to land in those conditions but on the gene side um holy shit man you've got i-15 coming out of california which is a major extremely busy highway 24 hours a day 
open desert, mountains, power lines, and then this itty bitty little landing area three miles off the fucking airport that's nothing but gravel at 2,200 feet in crazy ass fucking heat and weather and holy shit, man. And you know they moved that landing area, the three mile away landing area, to the airport. So there's a little landing area in between the highway and the airport that's the smallest landing area that I've ever jumped in. Yeah. And it's not hard once you figure it out, like how to get in it, but into the peas, you know what I mean? But like I was, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't sure. ready for that job. And, and, and the dudes there, a couple of guys like this guy, Mikey and this guy, Kale were extremely helpful in like teaching me nice. how to make these approaches properly and how to like, not necessarily swoop a tandem, but how to like carve a tandem in to get some more speed because sure. we were flying these Icarus 300s and 330s and yeah. I was, the, they were, they were beyond my capability at the sure. time, you know? Sure. And, uh, but I learned a ton and I feel like I learned it as safe as I possibly could have. And I think I only had like one or two pretty rough landings in the P's where I was like, you know, some high winds sure. kicked in and, and I didn't know what I was doing, you know? Well, that'll happen, though. I mean, uh, honestly, just having a couple of sketchy landings in a place like that is pretty fucking good. It's pretty, and it's terrifying, but it was enough to kind of scare me, and, and the money wasn't enough for me to want to try to stay in a place that I wasn't 100% comfortable jumping sure. in, you know? Especially because that was my first taste of what a tandem factory was like. Sure. All tandems, no fun, no fun jumps, jumpers. like work, 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 here we go. And, uh, and you know... I liked it because I knew what I was getting myself into. Like the purpose was strictly financial. Sure. There wasn't like a, oh, let's go learn how to carve on our heads here. You know sure. what I mean? There was no, none of that. It was like, all right, let's go throw drugs and do video and like make money. You know? Sure. Sure. And so I, I was searching for happy balance after that, I think. Which is important. I mean, yeah. for me, I started out there. Um, there were fun jumpers in Vegas back in the day. And this is again, 20 fucking six years ago. Mm. Um, and there's still fun jumpers there, but they all make the pilgrimage either up to Mesquite or out to Paris Valley or Elsinore, Mm -hmm. um, because there's not really, uh, an opportunity to do the fun jumping in Las Vegas. And that kind of went by the wayside when skydive Las Vegas, um, changed ownership and became a proper tandem factory and i i don't fault them for it it's insane fucking money i mean it's a money making machine Mm -hmm. Uh, and and all the drop zones out there have been extremely successful in what they did but for me starting out there that was just home so i was too young and too stupid to know that i should not have been jumping in the shit that i was jumping in that was just skydiving to me I remember in 98 going to the Nationals with my Skysurf partner, and they stopped the Nationals because the winds were gusting like 8 to 12, and both Mary and I were like, are you guys fucking kidding me? We don't even start jumping until it hits 12. What? Really? We're on standby? Holy shit. And then it dawned on me, oh, wait a second. These are some of the world's best skydivers that are standing on the ground. They're not the stupid ones. I am yeah, for, for having been jumping through the insane stuff that we jumped through in Vegas. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was great. Don't get me wrong. I have amazing memories from there and amazing people, but I mean, wow. Some of the, I put myself in a corner all the time. There. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that I got, I learned at Paris and, you know, even as a student, people would say like, Oh, if you're learning your canopy piloting at Paris, like it'll be really beneficial for the future. Paris makes good canopy pilots because sure. of all the dust devil storms, dust devils, yeah, man. winds blowing in every direction. They're not consistent out of one way. You know, they're every way we have different landing patterns. You know, you got to really, you got to really think there, you know, sure. you got to figure some, st- I've worked at some drop zones where it's one landing pattern yeah. the whole time. 
because the wind comes out of the same direction. It never I, changes. I, I remember being like, are you kidding? This is real? Like, you guys are so fucking spoiled. You have no idea, right, you know? Right, And um, But I went from Vegas. So the guy I worked for in Vegas had a couple of drop zones. And um, he, he had opened a company called Go Jump, right? They started, they got Oceanside, they got Vegas, they got yeah. Santa Cruz, yeah. I think maybe Colorado, who knows. But um, really nice dudes to work for, very pleasant, uh, nothing but friendly, you know. And when I said I was, uh, you know, interested in maybe checking out a different location, the one in Oceanside, they were very happy to nice accommodate. And, and I started doing my work down there. So I started working down in Oceanside and living down there. And made a change, and, and that was another tandem factory that had a bunch of fun jumpers. Nice. And they had the tunnel close by. And so we were in the tunnel every other day, and then we were doing fun jumps, and I was doing tandems and video. And it was that nice balance that I was kind of looking for. Nice. You know? Now, yeah. was that uh, – were they still flying the um, red, yellow, and blue Pac-750? No. They were definitely still flying Pac-750s, but the one that I was jumping in was all black, mostly. Oh. And they had an all-silver one there, too. Okay, yeah, because there was – they. I think Oceanside started out with the first pack I ever flew, which was Ray Farrell's out of Skydance, and then he started leasing everything out. Oh, okay. Um, but you also traveled to the East Coast as well, didn't you? You jumped a little time at my uh, most talked-about alma mater, Cross Keys. Man, I love Cross Keys. <laughs> I don't even know why. It's not even a place that I think anybody that knows me would be like, oh, Cody, you belong at Cross Keys because right. I'm not – like I'm the I'm for sure like the opposite. <laughs> You're not a Jersey trailer boy. Dude, I'm not a Jersey trailer boy. I don't <laughs> like drink or do drugs. Not to say that those guys are too crazy, but they definitely like to let loose, you know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I don't know what it was about that place. And, I mean, the bosses were wonderful, you know, like the people, the new owners I've, since sure. you've been working there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just uh, husband and wife, Pico and Nadia, and they were so welcoming and so lovely. And the DZ atmosphere is just fantastic. Yeah. And uh, But yeah, I, I, my best buddy in California, this guy named Nico Giraldo, who's one of my skydiving like uh, influences, you know, when I was learning how to free fly, he was my teacher and taking me on way too advanced jumps and just saying like, learn how to catch up, buddy. We'll take you on all of our jumps, like very inclusive. You know what I mean? It was sure. great. And the guy taught me how to free fly and then in the tunnel and then we became really good buddies. Uh, both share a very lo a big love for Frisbee golf. I don't know if you're nice. familiar with the sport. I love disc golf. Anyway, so uh, he was from Jersey and that was his home drop zone uh, before he moved to California. And so he was going out for a summer and said like, yeah, do you want to come? Like you should go with me. We're going to go out there for like maybe two months and just work. And so I talked to the bosses and I talked to my boss and then it turned from two months to the – Four months or five months, sure. you know? And I was like, I'm going to go out there a little longer and really check this place out. And, uh, dude, talk about talk about what a drop zone is, what I think is supposed to be like, you know? Right, right. Like, this is like everybody is in on everybody's stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. And if you blow it, everybody's not letting you forget it. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty funny. Sometimes it's a little rough, but... And then there's constantly skills camps and there's constantly sure. people trying to get better and coaching is going on all the time. And then people are doing zoo dives and having fun. And the focus is all the time safety, like constantly bringing up like, all right, if somebody does make this mistake, let's make it super public so we can sure. all learn from it. And that's also where I swooped my first pond. Nice. <sighs> Man. I remember going for it for the first time and just doing a cruisy 270, which I knew how to do. 
and my feet got in the water and I've just something just opened up inside of me, dude. I don't know what it was. And I came out the other side and landed in the peas. It was during a swoop and chug and everybody was watching and I did it like I'd done it a fucking thousand times, dude. I felt so good. My fucking, uh, my ego exploded. I was so stoked. And, uh, and I, after that I knew I was like, all right, I got to swoop. I got to do this every day. Like sure. I got to swoop the pond every day, especially cause they kind of let us do it during work jumps, sure. you know, to an extent, to an extent. So uh, that was like that was a big deal for me there, man. I got in the pond and there they had swoop club every week Thursday mornings. We'd get there at six a.m. and we'd do hop and pops, you know. Oh man, it was so good. I remember when swoop club started. Oh jeez. Yeah, because it started back in my time. I think two thousand and four was the first year they did uh, swoop club, and it was Thursday morning six o'clock. Thursday mornings, yeah. yeah. Oh no, you. I think it was Mondays, wasn't it? Uh, it, I thought it was Thursdays, but it could have been Mondays. Could have been Mondays. Similar because yeah. they were, was, some of the geezers were telling me like I miss it when it was on Mondays. So was, maybe it went back and forth. I, was I don't know. Pretty fucked up. Back then. Yeah, <laughs> not surprised. Yeah, you guys, so I'm not sure. You guys are drunk from the night before doing hot oh, pops. Oh my god. Well, so, you see those two little statues up there. Those are the Krosky's Film Festival winners. For, oh, you got some Krosky's yeah, Film Fest, dude. Yeah, man, from back in the day. Me 2004. And the, me and the crew that I was with uh, won both of those for some interesting shit we did. I believe you. Yeah. So this is one thing, though, that I was very upset because I, all I knew was Krosky's now. I didn't know it back then, right? I heard lots of great stories about right. the epic parties and blah, 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 and the camping and yada, yada. And then finally somebody broke out some archives of some photos and showed me what that campground was like and how all the lights were hung up and oh, all the dude. campers and the walkways connect. Dude, it was like... Literally, there was a few employees there that I was making fun of all the time, like saying they were legitimately the Lost Boys that just found Never Neverland and yes. refused to leave. Yes. No matter how old they got, they were like, we don't care. We're still 16 years old and we're yes. still going to do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> yes. One of my never-ending yeah. fucking memories across Keys, because back then it wasn't a it wasn't a drop zone. It was a fucking commune, man. You joined the commune yeah. and that's where you were all the like time. Like Rainbow Valley in Mexico somewhere. Yeah, man. And <laughs> I remember, I think I'd only been there for a week the first time there was a party on the back deck and i walk out and uh dave pancake who i know is still out there doing oh, yeah. his thing dave's doing his thing so uh, uh pancake was the the um the staff manager at the time he was the chief instructor and uh i walk out on the back deck at like nine o'clock at night and there's pancake hanging from the fucking rafters of the tiki bar hammered drunk and i'm like that's my that's my new boss <laughs> Holy shit, that's my new boss. Yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it was just fucking fantastic and insane and wonderful and sad all at the same time. And mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of credible, incredible stuff ha happened out there. In fact, I just had uh, Burton Averett on, who is uh, OG Monkey Claw from back in the day. Very good friend of mine. Yeah, so Bert's fantastic people, and he's he knows all the stories. And I had him on. We got to talk about John, who you obviously didn't get to meet. Uh, you came after his time, but John built a fucking incredible place out there. And I was so happy that Bert had said that Cross Keys is kind of on the upswing again and it's coming back full force, which is awesome. Dude, not only is it, I feel like, on the up and up, but like the business is crazy good and the owners are very passionate about their fun jumper community, which is huge. And they're very passionate about their outside video for work and there's, you know, no hand cam there. Stuff like this, which I'm not hating on hand cam. Like, I've done it. I'll do it. You know what sure. I mean? Like, I'll do what the job entails. But the fact that they're, like, so on board with just skydiving in general and not just, all right, let's make a billion dollars if we can, you know? Sure. It's a community. And, and it's because the owners, that you know, the Pico is, is a 
he's an aviator. Mm. So he's a pilot. He's got a bunch of planes, and he loves flying, and it's like his heart and soul is in airplanes. Sure. And he sees the heart and soul in skydiving. Sure. And it's a little different, but it's the same. You know, that passion is still the same, and he understands what compromise means, and you don't want to compromise something just because you need to make five extra bucks. Sure. And he understands that, you know. Which is huge. It's so big because yeah. it's going to, you know, it's not. I'm not going to say it's going to destroy skydiving, but, it, you know. That's where those little drop zones that are just Cessnas that don't have fun jumpers, it's the only way they're going to survive, you know? Sure. Well, and, and the, the other aspect, of, the other side of that coin is the, the corporate aspect of skydiving, which I think is also its own little um, – it's a huge road to financial success, but yeah. it's a death to the sport that we know mm-hmm. um, because the, the big corporate tandem factories will make a shitload of money, but they'll never hold people's passions. Yeah, that's true. Which is sad. Uh, yeah, but if that corporate tandem factory gets somebody to make that first jump and they get hooked mm-hmm. and then they can go find a drop zone like the new cross keys where they've got people with passion, then I suppose it's a good thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. The more people get introduced to the sport, the better. And if instructors for a year or two or 10 can go make a fuckload of money at a tandem factory, then more power to them. Yeah. Because we, we work fucking hard. Um, I, I think, honestly, for the, the kind of work we put in, skydivers are rem- amazingly underpaid. Yeah, I agree. I agree a lot. Yeah. We should be making a fuckload more money, but mm-hmm. it, it, which is going to be funny when our generation uh, finally hits retirement. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, our, our, does anybody know how to do that? Like, do right? we have retirement funds? No. You know, does, do my coworkers have Roth IRAs set up ready uh, to go? <laughs> I mean, right? I, the, I I don't know what the uh, the skydiver old folks home looks like. No, I don't either. Well, I, I was, don't want to know. We're just going to die or something. Come I was here. lucky <laughs> enough to have the most amazing person on, a lady by the name of Alice Hicks that's turning – I think she turns 80 this month or next month. And she is still strapping on a weight belt and going and banging out fucking four-way in between uh, doing line dancing every week in Arizona. Too good for her. What a fucking badass. That is so badass. Mike McGowan, another legend and badass, had posted a photo of her, and it was the most beautiful photo. It was her either just landing or having just landed, yellow helmet on, black jumpsuit, and ridiculously huge smile on her face. Mm-hmm. And it was just the most amazing photo I had seen in ages. And it wasn't anything you know incredible flying down mountains or anything. It was just this joy of a woman that's clearly been in the sport for a while, mm-hmm. still loving every second of it. So fuck, if that's... That's our retirement. I'm all good with that. Yeah, me too. And that's something that like, I mean, when I see myself as a skydiver getting old, I don't think like, I didn't join this sport because of the party. Like I kind of said in the beginning, sure. like I, I quit drinking a long time ago and sure. I'm in recovery too. And it's public knowledge. Like I've sure. been in sober and AA for 18 years. now. Congratulations. You know? Thank you. And uh, I'm now, you know, totally public knowledge. Every, all my friends know about it. No sure. big deal. And that was actually something about cross keys that I found that no other drop zone had. Is like they've got a ton of party atmosphere. Like they like to rage hard, but there's also a sobriety group there, man. Sure. There's a bunch of people there. There's actually an online group called Skydivers Supporting Sobriety, and it's a really big thing. And there's a bunch of people like that are in recovery that love skydiving, and it's just like that's fucking awesome. It's though. super awesome, and they're very big community trying to help each other out to let you know that you can still be a part of a drop zone, and you don't have to. Get wasted and party with you everybody don't at have night. To go you know nuts. what I mean? Because that's not why I'm skydiving. Sure. I'm not skydiving just because I like the party. Sure. Or the chicks or whatever, because they don't really exist there anyway. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I skydive because I love the sport. Sure. And I want to share it with other people. Sure. You know? But that means that um during those parties, I stay for the first ten minutes to say hi and laugh sure. at everybody and then I leave. Oh yeah. You know? Like that's one of the compromises, right? 
I don't hang out late. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I leave. I go uh, to bed early. <laughs> oh, I'm right there with you. I, I, I became very uh, famous uh, um, not too long after I left Cross Keys for ghosting parties. Yeah, and I am I am just fine with that. And everybody that knows me knows he's going to stick around for a while, mm-hmm. and then he's fucking gone. And it's just yeah, I don't do I don't do the big crowd and the big party scene anymore. And I'm yeah. glad that I had those times. I look yeah. back. With such fond memories over the stupid shit, chemically or alcohol induced, that I've partaken in, you know, especially in places like Cross Keys, <laughs> but I wouldn't go back and do them again. Not no. a, not for fucking anything. So, yeah. man, hats off to you. And if it doesn't sound too fucked up, cheers. Cheers. For... <laughs> no, cheers. Here, I got my cup of water here. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. And I got an, an empty glass that did have mm. tequila in it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'll toast to that. Mm. So, I mean, honestly, I think it's fantastic, and it sounds to me like you kind of found your your corner, your little uh, your little niche. Yeah, I found something that I like, and it works for me. It doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody else, obviously, you know. Sure. But like I said, like I love skydiving with all my heart. I'm passionate about the sport. Recently, I've gotten more into the competitive field. Like I really want to start doing like uh, indoor competition and cool. stuff like this. So. And, uh, you know, training with friends and then just getting better and working hard and then still coaching guys on the side that ask for help. And I don't market myself as some coach that's going to, like, travel and coach you. Like, that's not what I do. Sure. But if somebody asks for some help, I'm happy to always help out, you know? Awesome. Um, but, yeah, I found something that works for me, and it's not the same. It's not this, like, cookie-cutter image that I think is going to work great for you. But sure. it's, like, my lifestyle is, like, uh, bed early, you know, wake up early exercise uh i don't have any sort of diet like but uh i eat like i guess not like a total garbage can sure you know and uh work as hard as i can and try to maintain positive attitude as best i can while i'm at work you know just remembering that like i don't own the place that i work at so that that means i have to you know talk a certain way and be a certain way and like smile even if i don't want to you know what i mean try to be a good employee right (laughs) you know and uh and then go home rinse and repeat man and so far i really like the the repetition i I, I'm not, it's, it hasn't killed me for some reason, you sure. know, like I, I still like it. Sure. No, absolutely. Well, and it's being able to just kind of shake your head and remember, yeah, there's bullshit involved with every job, but at the end of the day, our bullshit involves getting to jump out of fucking planes. Dude, I mean, come on. Yeah. I, I've, I've lasted as long as I have in the sport with a lot of the shit that you have to put up with in aviation and skydiving, because at the end of the day, I can't believe they let us do this shit. Yeah, right. So true. It's amazing. So, but every once in a while, you have to step back and have that perspective and go, no, 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 shut up. Very first world problems. You are one lucky motherfucker. Yeah, hundred percent. Know. I mean, it can't have been strategic when we started the sport, right? No. Some some moron was like, oh, dude, check this out. You know, oh, dude. It, was, it was for sure a hold my beer moment. You know, and he was like, check this. This is called a parachute. Let's go. You know. Oh man. And now it's that same moron that just learned how to write fancy words down on paper to make everybody think that we're doing a safe thing. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. man. Uh, one of my favorite people to talk to was Bill Booth, and you know, Bill Booth obviously has some pretty amazing stories and yeah. and uh, some pretty over the top stories and. Of course, he's one of the most well-known people on the planet because at least my whole generation had to sit and watch him uh, tell us about the tandem waiver, you know, with the the big beard and everything. And this is the guy that invented the three-ring system and him and Ted Strong invented tandems and basically just snatched our entire sport out of nothing, mm-hmm. you know. And holy shit. And that was definitely back when the shit that they were doing was fucking nuts. 
nuts. And now it's a, uh, yeah, it's kind of risky, but it's not nearly as dangerous as driving down the highway at fucking at five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, shit that you can get a driver's license a hell of a lot easier than you can get a fucking license to skydive. And, and it, I think a hell of a lot more dangerous getting behind the wheel. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Especially growing up in California. Right. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. So if people want to come out and uh, jump with you, they want to reach out and ask questions because they've liked uh, all the things you had to say. How do they find out about you? How do they find you? Uh, well, my name's Cody McMains. I'm on Facebook as MCMAINS. My uh, social media stuff, I pretty much only use uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, my Instagram handle is coffee and skydiving. Nice. All one word. Uh, yeah. Coffee's still a big passion, man. I can't get away from it you know nice yeah if there's one thing i spend my money on it's nice coffee cool well that's kind of funny because when i uh when i grow up and finally walk away from the sport i intend to go do nothing but make coffee for a living make my uh my uh most extreme uh uh, choice and heaviest responsibility whether or not i fucked up your latte (laughs) it's it's a great life let me tell you yeah man man. (laughs) dude i can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down and talk with me this is really good yeah thank you i appreciate you having me on man absolutely Yeah, yeah cheers Cheers, bud. See ya. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you, as always, by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. By Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe Podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.
Damn. <laughs>